Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Okay, let's take time to greet each other. in the house of the Lord this morning. We'll start singing in just a moment. Here we go. I'm so
morning, Christ will bring a song for you this morning called Boundless Love, and it is an endless love that Jesus has for each and every one of us. So just listen to the words that we sing.
For those of you who are wondering, Brother Jason didn't grow a beard. Not this Brother Jason, the other Brother Jason. I didn't grow a beard, and that's not what happened. We thank you, Brother Danny, Brother Jason, and Miss Amy are in Florida this week, enjoying a well-deserved vacation. And, uh, and thank you, Brother Danny, for graciously stepping in and, and leading us. Thank you, Miss Linda, for coming and playing. And thank you, choir, for, for singing for us this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to the Gospel of Matthew and make your way to the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll be preaching on this subject this morning. How do we respond to the power of Christ? How do we respond... To the power of Christ. And, and this Lord's Day, as we gather in His name and, and worship Him through the teaching and the reading of His holy and errant and fallible Word, we're, we're kind of continuing this focus uh, on Christ and how we respond to Christ particularly. And, and really, we kind of started this prior to, to our Celebration Sunday Easter services when we looked at how we respond to the coming Christ, And then, of course, uh, on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter, we looked how do we respond to the fact that Jesus uh, has been resurrected. Last week, we said, uh, one week later, how were the disciples responding to the fact, how, what were they doing after they had laid their eyes upon the resurrected Christ? And so this week, we looked at this thought, what do we do in response to seeing the power of Christ displayed in our lives? How do we respond to the power of Christ and what we see? And really, if you think about it, from the time that Christ entered into this world as a young man, he, he was just 40 days old when his parents took him to the temple to be presented, as was custom in that time. And if you'll recall, there was, a, there was an older man, Simeon, who had been looking for the coming Messiah, and at just 40 days old, he looks upon the consummation of Israel, he looks upon Jesus, the Messiah, and he says these words to Mary. He says, many will rise and fall in Israel, and he goes on to say, he will be the dividing line of destiny. And so from, from that early time in Jesus' life, he has been the dividing line. What does that mean, Brother Jason? Well, quite simply, it means that Jesus Christ will be the line by which people are divided into two categories. Those who know him and those who reject him. That's the only two categories by which people will be divided. And Jesus Christ will be that line by which they are divided. Some will be wheat. Some will be tares, some will be godly, some will be ungodly. And quite frankly, it will have nothing to do in the, so much as the way we act, but in who we know. And Jesus Christ is that dividing line. And so Matthew this morning is in a section of Scripture, and we're kind of coming out of two chapters where he defines some miracles of Jesus as he comes from the Sermon on the Mount that he performed. And we're going to see at the end of this section, what we're looking at this morning, is there are two groups of people responding to the power of Christ displayed in these miracles. And so if you would, please stand if you're able for the reading of the Holy Word of our Holy God from Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 33. It says, and when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, it is never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. 
And then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Let us pray. Father God, we come into your house, we gather in your name to worship you, Lord God. God, we thank you for your spirit's presence. We do not take lightly that you would show up in our presence this morning. God, would you bind any spirit, any demon, any devil, any thought at this time that would captivate us that is not of your Holy Spirit, would you bind it from this place at this moment? God, allow us to worship you in the next few minutes that we would all hear from you, Lord God, and that you would increase in this place, that you would be magnified and glorified. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And it is in your sweet, precious name that we pray, as all of God's children said, amen, and you may be seated. Now, as we dive into this message, we're going to kind of work backwards. I realize that that's a little difficult for those of you who are kind of ADHD, HDHD, or maybe you're a little obsessive compulsive and you struggle to do this, but we're going to start with verse 35 and then we're going to back up. We're going to do that, well, because that's what I felt like the Lord laid on my heart to do. And you guys don't stand back here. I do. So we get to go the way that I feel like we're going to go. So we're going to be starting backwards. So I want you to look at verse 35 with me just for a moment. As we look to verse 35, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages. And what we're really going to be looking at is what did Jesus do? Because if we're going to look at the responses to Jesus, we need to know what we're responding to exactly. So we're going to look, what is it that Jesus was doing? And really, if you look at verse 35, it really gives us three things that Jesus was going about doing. It says that he was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing. He was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing. That's what Jesus was going about doing. We're going to look at all three of those in a little more detail. But what we really need to know is that essentially in the ministry of Jesus, he went about for all of the time, from the time he began his ministry to the time he made his way to his cross, he went about teaching and preaching and healing. Those were the things that he was really doing. And, and right there when it says, then Jesus went about. When we look at that, uh, in the English we would think, well, he, he, it's just something that he... he went to do. But literally that phrase says this is this is his consistent. All right, this means this was his constant. This is how Jesus' life was defined. This is what he did every day. That was the continuous motion of Jesus. He went about continuously, repetitively teaching preaching and healing. That was what Jesus did. And in that time, when we look at the fact that he was teaching, they basically had a synagogue in every village that was set up. You could pretty well count on, if there were Jewish people in the area, they would set up a synagogue. In fact, by the Jewish custom, it only took a group of ten to come together to qualify to, to consecrate a synagogue. And so anytime there were at least ten Jewish people in an area, they would then have a synagogue built because they would honor God by gathering in that synagogue. But it was also an important judicial court. It was a town hall, so to speak. So they had to have this erected. So anytime in that culture there were more than ten in an area, you would have a synagogue gather. Now the only difference between a village and the city was that a city would fortify with walls and a village would just be open. So you can imagine in that hill country and in that mountainous region anytime a group of ten people made their way into a new little area, they would have a village and they would 
construct a synagogue. And so it says that Jesus was making his way through all of those little villages and towns. Now, I don't know exactly how many villages and towns there were, but I just happened to know if you were to leave my house and turn left before you got to the next city of Murfreesboro, you may very well pass through several communities. You would leave the Rocky Valley village. You would go through the Vine village, but before you got there, you'd go through the Cedars of Lebanon village. You might make your way into the uh, Fall Creek community or village, and then you might next get to the Las Casas community, and then you would make your way to the city of Murfreesboro. And so just imagine all that we have with all these roads we've constructed. So in that time, they would have these villages pop up and it says that Jesus would go through to all of these places doing these things. Now, in the synagogue, every Sabbath day, they would make their way, all the people in the village would make their way to the synagogue and they would gather for a place of worship. Their worship service basically looked like this. They would sing a psalm of thanksgiving. They would have a prayer. And then they would read a passage of scripture from the laws of Moses. And then they would read a passage of scripture from the prophets of the Old Testament. And then someone would get up and they would explain the scriptures that they had read. And that began all the way back in the days of Nehemiah, that that was the way that they did when they gathered to worship. They would sing a psalm of thanksgiving, they would usher a prayer to the Lord, they would read the text, and they would explain the text that they had just read. And that went all the way back. Nehemiah, but there was a little practice that they had. As they gathered, remember there was several small villages, as they gathered in the synagogue, basically the person who got up and read that scripture and explained that scripture could be any of the elders or leaders of the church. Any of them might get up and do that. But in that day, there was a general rule of thumb that if there were a traveling rabbi or traveling dignitary or traveling teacher, it would be customary. You would open the place of reading the scripture and exhorting the scripture up to that person. Now just think of how divine that was if you think of the life of Jesus traveling through all of these villages as he went into the village. The pulpit would be open to him wherever he went. Now fast forward to the days of Paul and Timothy as they would travel around on their missionary journeys. What does scripture always teach us in Acts? That as they went to a new town they made their way to the synagogue and what happened? The pulpit was opened up for them because of this custom that had been in place. And so Jesus comes into town free to show up, stand in the synagogue, and it says that what he did was he opened the text and he exposed the text to the people. I get asked quite often, Brother Jason, why why do you stick to this method of preaching where you just stick to the text. Why don't you preach a a 12-week series on the growth of the church or on having your best life now or on moving forward with good thoughts and affirmations? It is because my conviction is this. If it was good enough for Paul and Jesus to open up the Word and expose the Word and the teaching, then it's good enough for me. That's why everything we do at this church, everything that we do, anytime someone comes to me and says, Brother Jason, what do you think about us doing this? My answer is all the same. Does it revolve around the Word of God? 
Is it built around, do, do, what, what, do we, do, brothers, what about a new Bible study? Is that Bible study going to be opening up the Word of God and exposing the text to the people that are there? Yes, that's what we're doing. Then yes, let's do it. Uh, no, it's going to be about personal growth. No, the church house is not the place for the personal growth study necessarily to take place. This is the place where we open the text, expose the text, and teach the text. Why? Because that was the example that we were given by Jesus Christ. If it were good enough for him, it's good enough for us. And so we follow that response of Christ. I'm not saying that personal growth studies are not good. They are incredible. I'm not even saying a group of people from the house of the Lord shouldn't get together and decide to take it. You probably should. But I'm saying that it's not a ministry of the church if it's not built around the scriptures. That's just what we do as a church. And so one of the things that Jesus did that would elicit the responses of all the people was that he opened the text and he exposed the text and he explained the text to the people that heard the text. And it elicited responses from people. You remember what they said about Jesus? Never before have we heard someone teach the way that this man Teaches. We've never heard anybody teach in this way. But look a little closer with me at verse 35 because he didn't just teach the scriptures as he went. It says he also preached the gospel of the kingdom. It says he preached the gospel of the kingdom. Well, what in the world does that even mean, Brother Jason? Well, it means that he was preaching. Not only was he teaching in the synagogue, but he was also preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He was making a public announcement or proclamation. That's what that word preaching means. He was just making a public proclamation to everyone that would hear it about the gospel of the kingdom. And he didn't limit who he gave the gospel to to just those who came to hear the teaching in the synagogues. He made it a public proclamation. I'd like to think that Jesus went everywhere and told anybody that would listen about the coming gospel of the kingdom. And what in the world is the good news of the kingdom that Jesus was talking about? Well, think about the Jewish people with me for just a moment. They had waited a very long time to hear the good news about the kingdom. They had been waiting since the Old Testament prophets to hear the good news about the Messiah. And here we have Jesus, and he's not only exposing the Old Testament scriptures, but he's proclaiming the New Testament mysteries. Now think about that with me. We have the benefit of knowing the entire story from our recorded text in Bible, but as Jesus is proclaiming the mysteries of the New Testament, he hasn't died yet. He's not gone and resurrected at this moment. So he's telling them about these things on the forefront of what's happening, and, and when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. When he says pray in this way, pray that thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus is literally preaching about a kingdom that he is establishing in that moment. He is saying essentially believe in me. Believe in me. And that is what he is proclaiming. And so Jesus shows us that not only should we expose the truth of the scriptures, but but we should proclaim the good news of the kingdom everywhere we go. And friends, we, we don't find ourselves in an entirely different situation today. What is the method by which men are saved? The exposing of the scriptures and the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That is the method by which we evangelize today. That is what we are called to do as a people who follow God. We are called to expose the scriptures and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And still today, it's not sufficient to stand firm on one and not do the other. If you shout the gospel at the top of your lungs and proclaim Jesus saves but never ever expose the scriptures to those who you proclaim it to, then you have people who never develop that relationship with Jesus Christ, never move closer, they're never sanctified, they're never on that journey because you never proclaim the truth of the scriptures to them. Likewise, if you stand so strong on teaching the Old Testament text and trying to explain these scriptures, but you never explain that Jesus died and was resurrected and was born again you never focus on that good news you get so intellectual that you end up missing out on the relational part of salvation with Jesus Christ and my friends it's not an either or it's a both and type of salvation that we have the truth of Christ is exposed to us the gospel of Christ is proclaimed to us and it all happens in such a way that when we get saved we don't just get saved up here we don't just get saved down here it's not an emotional thing thing that happens. It's not just an intellectual thing that happens. It is a relational thing that happens where we understand and we are changed and we are transformed. Why? Because the text is exposed and Christ is glorified and the gospel is proclaimed. It is not good enough to just have an intellectual Christianity. I was talking with a young man yesterday and I said, you know, even the demons believe in Jesus. Even the demons know Jesus. But they don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's not good enough to intellectually understand that there was a man named Jesus. And to even historically understand the things that he did. The way that we might understand the things that Julius Caesar did. It's not good enough to just have that intellectual understanding. Because to know Jesus is to be transformed by Jesus. How do you know if you know Jesus? Did he change your life? Because quite frankly, you cannot be the same after you know Jesus as you were before you met Jesus. If you're still doing the same things and thinking the same thoughts and living the same life after your conversion as you were before, your conversion didn't happen. It didn't happen because Jesus will not leave you the same. Now, nobody go out of here and say, that preacher over at Rocky Valley said, after you know Jesus, you don't sin no more because you can't do that. I didn't say that. What I said is you can't live the way you lived before. You're still going to fall short. Scripture teaches us you're going to fall short of the glory of God, but you ain't going to like it no more. You're not going to feel comfortable living the way you lived before once you know Jesus Christ because you cannot have Christ. It says where there's light, there can be no darkness. So you cannot live in that darkness and still have the light. So you need to examine yourself. If he didn't change your life, Maybe you got that intellectual understanding, but you haven't had that born-again transformation that happens when you know Jesus. So he was teaching the Scriptures. He was preaching the Gospel, but he was doing something else. It says that he was healing as he went. 
said he was healing. It says he healed every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, quite literally, it doesn't mean that every time there was a sick or diseased person in the entire midst, he healed every one of them. But it means that he healed every kind of sickness and every kind of disease. And what that simply meant was it was, it was kind of a verification of the teaching and the preaching that Jesus was doing. Uh, in, in other words, Jesus' ministry was going about teaching the scriptures and proclaiming the kingdom was coming for salvation. But one of the ways that he verified that he was the Messiah was by doing miracles that only the Messiah would perform. So he was healing every type of disease, every type of sickness, so that there was no doubt in the people who saw its mind, this must be the Messiah. He went about his earthly ministry doing these things in such a way that when you looked upon the life of Jesus Christ, the people had no choice but to acknowledge, this is the Messiah. Before he went to the cross, he established that he was a king, in other words. He did the healing and he did these things and it was a a verification of the other ministry that he was doing because Jesus was proclaiming a radical proposition, if you think about it. They had been looking for a Messiah for a very long time. And suddenly he showed up on the scene and said, it's me. I'm here. I'm the Messiah. That would not be readily and easily accepted. And so he was kind of showing this proof by the things that he did. And what an example, church. What an example that we see in that. Because Jesus is really showing us what it means to be the church. What does it mean to be the church, to have had the scriptures explained and had the gospel proclaimed and had our lives changed? Then we'll want to go about affecting the people around us because we've been transformed by Jesus Christ. We will not want to sit on that and hold it quietly and not change any of the culture around us. We will have a desire to go out and change the people around us. These are the things that we do outside the walls that we gather in here at this wonderful church. These are the things like Hearts for Hunger where we say because I've been transformed, I want to go out and make sure that somebody that has... Uh, Maybe a struggle with food or maybe somebody who could even just be helped. Maybe they're going to eat anyway, but we're going to help them by saying we, we want to love you by giving this box of food out. We don't need anything in return. We want to do it because Jesus made us different. Guess what? You don't do that unless you're transformed. You don't want to just take food to people unless Jesus Christ has done a work in your life. You don't just want to go out and do those kind of things. That's why when it happens, people look at you like you're crazy for a little while. Because it's different. And it's different because it's a transformed action. We ought to be meeting the physical needs of the people around us with no expectation of a physical return simply because Jesus changed our lives. And my friends, I might say, if there is any mark, not upon just, I don't mean this church, but on the church 
in general. If there is any mark upon the church in general by which those who are lost struggle to come to terms with the fact that Jesus changes lives, it is that the church doesn't act much different than any other organization out there when people need help. Let me say that again. If there is any mark upon the church by which the lost struggle to see the transformation of Jesus, it's that we don't look that much different than any other organization or club or social event that's out there And when it comes to meeting the needs of people that need help. I said, well, if you're not willing to do that, Jesus must not have changed who you were. If you really believed in Jesus, then you would do the things that Jesus did. And what are the things that Jesus did? He, he, he taught and he preached, and he healed. Now, obviously, I don't have the power in my fingertips to call out sickness. But I do have the power through prayer to pray that God would heal sickness. But I also do have the ability to meet someone's physical needs. I do have that ability to go out and do that. Jesus did this astonishing work to verify his ministry. My friends, if we want to be able to go and proclaim the gospel and teach the scriptures, sometimes we have to be willing to meet the physical needs of the people first. Sometimes we have to do that to establish our ministry. And so the work of the Lord, it was an astonishing work. And as we close this morning, we're going to look at two responses to that astonishing work. And the first thing that we're going to look is in verse 33. We'll find that some marvel in the multitude. There were some that were marveling at what Jesus did. Look at verse 33 with me. It says, When the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitude marveled. Now, I just want to stop right there just a second. Maybe all of you are not as easily... um, Excited as I am. I realize that. Sometimes I get excited. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. That does something for me. We are coming right now. Matthew has recorded since the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus came down. If you look back, you start in chapter 8 and you read through. You will see nine miracles. No less than nine miracles recorded in which Jesus uh, heals the centurion's servant. Uh, he, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. He causes uh, uh, men to speak. He causes demons to be cast out. He causes a blood flow to stop. He takes control of the wind and the rain. Jesus does all of these miracles and it's recorded. And we get to this one it says and when the demon was cast out and the mute spoke now that my friends is a pretty marvelous display of the power of Christ what I want you to realize is this when the mute spoke this dude hadn't talked his entire life he would he, he would go to and nothing would come out I know some of you are thinking, I wish that affliction would hit Brother Jason. I'm hungry. But we're almost done, I promise. The mute spoke. The demon was cast out of this man. And so here we see the power of Christ displayed in all of these miracles. And it kind of comes to this head that this man that couldn't talk, who was possessed by the demon, suddenly was able to talk. And the demon was gone. And the multitudes looked on. Imagine if you were there and you were looking upon this marvel of the power of Christ displayed. And what did they say? They said, we have never seen anything like this. 
We ain't never seen nothing like this happen. Now I want you to think about that just for a minute. These were the same people who were descendants of those and had been taught about those who were in bondage in Egypt who were called out and led out by Moses who came to a water with an army closing in and saw the, the walls of the water part walk across on dry land, let the army run in on the dry land. The water came back and drowned all the army and they were free. These people had seen that. They had also been in there when they stood out and, and, and looked out on the city of Jericho and those great big walls and they had blown them down after a march around. They had seen that happen and fall down. These people shouldn't have been easily amazed by a display of the power of God, but they said when they saw Jesus, they'd never seen anything like that. <coughs> Think about that. That means that what Jesus was doing in these miracles was more mind-blowing to them than the walls of a city falling down. Now that's pretty impressive. What Jesus was doing was a display of the power and the sovereignty of God and they'd never ever seen it before. And my friends, let me ask you, how do you respond when you see the power of Christ displayed? When is the last time, church... That when we saw the baptismal water stirred, we looked upon and not just clapped our hands and said praise the Lord, but thought to ourselves, that is a display of the power of Christ that a dead man lives now. That he has accepted Christ and he's now being baptized. Oh, now I know we always clap our hands and we always praise the Lord. But do you really think that is a display of the power of Christ that a dead man's living? When's the last time you thought about your salvation and said to yourself, that is a display of the power of Christ in my life? And when's the last time? When's the last time that you heard the story of someone who was facing a sickness? And the doctor said it was hopeless. That you said this is an opportunity for us to see a display of the power of Christ. See, our faith is just not where it should be. And this multitude that's marveling right now, their faith is, is in a place that they're saying, we have never, ever, never, ever seen anything like this before. And they were amazed at the power of Christ. But look at verse 34 with me real quickly. The Pharisee said, he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. Jesus has set this stage by performing these miracles. And it culminates here. And we have a response to it by these people. And there was, there was a multitude that marveled at what was going on. But there was one group that began to attribute the works of Jesus to Satan. He said, oh, no, this is no Messiah. Everything he's doing, he's doing in the power of a demon himself. This is what he's doing. You notice they couldn't say he doesn't cast out demons, though, could they? They saw the power of Christ on display. They just rejected that it was Christ who had the power. You see, Jesus showed up, and the Pharisees had a problem. 
Because when Jesus showed up, he challenged to their very core everything that they believed in and every tradition that they had built their life on and everything that they had poured themselves into was challenged by Jesus Christ because he changed every legalistic law they had and stamped grace over the top of it. And that was challenging to them because they loved the law. They were comfortable with the law. They didn't want to change to what Jesus was bringing. But until he started to change their system, they were okay with him. But now all of a sudden, he's messing everything up. And what do they say? Well, we can't say that he doesn't have power because, my goodness, this man couldn't talk and now he's talking. That centurion servant uh, wasn't able to walk and now he's walking. That Lazarus is dead and now he's living. Right? We can't look at Jesus and say that he doesn't have power. And that's the way it is when Jesus shows up. You don't have any choice but to acknowledge his power. But still today, what are people doing? Must have been something else. Couldn't have been the power of God. We don't want to believe in this Jesus because to say that we believe that Jesus is Messiah says that we got to let him have our lives. And we got to give some things up. And we got to change some things. You see, when the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed, it's not a difficult proclamation. It's simply this, that there is a holy God and we are a sinful man. And we needed a Savior that we might be recognized, reconciled to our holy God. It's not a complicated process. But when that truth is proclaimed, and someone's challenged and they respond in one of two ways. They either marvel at him and respond in faith or they reject him and attribute the power to something else. So this morning, everyone, everyone has to recognize the power of Christ. Everyone has to see the handiwork of God. And you're going to respond in one of two ways this morning. You're either going to accept it and marvel at him or you're going to reject it. And go your own way. And so I ask you this morning, which, which group are you in? The dividing line is Jesus. And which group are you in? Maybe you're here and you've been saved for a long time. But for some reason, you've just been kind of missing to recognize the power of God in your life. You've gotten so accustomed to the, to the life that you're living and the things that you're doing that you're not really responding faithfully anymore, you're just walking normally. Would you challenge yourselves this morning to look at the power of Christ in your life and respond in faith and serve Him in trust? Maybe you're here and you thought, you know what, I've had, a, I've had a, an intellectual salvation. I understood and maybe I even believed, but I never was changed. I was never transformed because I never gave him my life. Would you come this morning and accept Christ as your Savior and be transformed? Rise up a new creation and be saved. Let's pray. Father God, God, we come to you this morning so thankful that you give us yet another opportunity to be present in your house, Lord. 
And God, we come to you and we recognize that at a minimum, the fact that we are here this morning is a display of your power in our lives. If we're being honest, we can all think of so many things that you've done in our lives that display your power. Whether you worked out a situation that we were praying for, God. Whether you fixed a situation ahead of us, God. Whether you convicted us of a sin in our life, God. Whether you fixed a a broken spirit, God. Your power has been displayed over and over. God, we want to come and marvel at the mystery of Jesus. We want to come and marvel at your power in our lives. God, if there's someone here who's never found themselves truly saved, truly transformed, God, would you give them the courage and the conviction to stand and say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to make this right. God, we'll praise you and we'll give you the honor for all that you've done. For it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.